Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Bridge City Church, North Braddock. So glad that you're here with us. How many of you remember that, that, that old tune? Yes, I've, I've, heard, I've heard stories that our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, used to go to a park in Trafford and pull out his guitar and sing that in public. Really disappointed cell phones didn't exist then because I'd like to have evidence of that. But, um, you know... This week, we're starting off a a new sermon series. They will know we are Christians by our love. And so I'm going to dive right in because we've got a lot of things happening today. And I want to get right to the Bible first and foremost because the Bible is our right rule for faith. And really, the Bible is where we find love defined. So let's take a look. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13, the gospel of John chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 34 and 35 just to kind of kick us off here. This is Jesus speaking. It's in the red letters for you there on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, now no pressure, but Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, this thing, that while we were still sinners, while we were rejecting him, opposing him, choosing to not obey him, mocking him, while we were doing that, Jesus, God, showed his love for us by dying for us. So no pressure, no pressure here. Jesus is saying, I want you to love one another as I've loved you, And Jesus' ultimate way of loving was dying for us. Somebody was like, wait a second. You mean I might have to die for the person next to me? (laughs) But I'll continue. Verse 35, your love for one another, and this this is the essence of the series today. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Actually, later in the Gospel of John, John 17, Jesus prays a prayer to the Father where he asks the Father to make Christians, people who follow him, unified, one, as he and the Father are one. And the end result of that is that the world would believe that the Father sent Jesus. And so we see that there's a lot riding on this unity, on this love, so much so that Jesus is encouraging us to do it. Now, we got to remember that here in John 13, Jesus is speaking to disciples. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't want you to check out. I want you to lean in. Because this is Jesus' command to those, as Pastor Ben just spoke about, have put their faith in Jesus as the forgiver of their past and the leader of their future, their Lord and their Savior. They've acknowledged that they are sinners. They are in desperate need of God. We have no other way to the Father. We have no other way to heaven. We have no other way to atone for or make up for or pay our sin debt. The only way is Jesus. And so by faith, I'm trusting Jesus. And then because I'm trusting Jesus, I'm submitting and surrendering myself to his lordship in my life. Meaning if he says to do it, I'm going to do it. And if he says to not do it, I'm not going to do it. 
And even if I do what I'm not supposed to do, and even if I fail to do the things that I am supposed to do, I understand that by turning from that and turning back to him, there's grace available to enable me to still have relationship with the Father. That's who Jesus is speaking to today. And so if you're in that camp, get your listening ears on. But if you're not, I want you to keep your listening ears on as well because here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff going on in the, around in the world passing for love. And so as we read Jesus' words here, it's real easy to say, okay, I get what you're saying, Jesus. I understand what you're saying, but what's love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I want to know who would love. Look, the songwriters have wondered for ages. But the word of God tells us what love is because here's the thing. In our culture today, our culture has turned love into this nebulous, subjective, malleable thing that contorts itself to whatever that individual wants it to be at that moment. See, we've got to be careful when we have something that's clearly so important to Jesus, actually so important that in 1 John 4, we'll see it a little bit later, God says he is love. Something that's so important that we have to be careful not to contort it to make love whatever we want love to be. So we have to understand this word to understand what God is calling us to do as Christ's followers. What's available for us to participate in as his children. And so, what is love? If I was to ask 10 different people, I'd get at least eight different answers. And if we were to pull this room right here and say, what is love? I, I doubt most of us could get it in a sentence. I doubt most of us would say the same thing as the person next to us. And so for the purposes of this series, we're going to, as we're sharing what love is, we're going to say, what we're going to define what, what we believe love is. And we'll show you where we get this definition from later. But love is by choice, not by chance. What does that mean? See, because a lot of times you will find people who fall in love. I just can't help myself. See, that's by chance. That's where you're out of control. And as we go through this series, you'll see that there is a word for love in other languages that, 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 that kind of describes that kind of love. But when we're talking about real love, true love, biblical love, the kind of love that God is, we're talking about by choice, not by chance. Jesus didn't just happen to die for your sins. He chose to die for your sins. It's a choice. It is, it is, it is a conscious decision of the will. It is something that always seeks the highest good of the other person. See, and now we're starting to see the definition of true love depart from what the world would say love is, aren't we? Because in the world, love is about what I get and satisfying my needs and how it makes me feel. But true love, biblical love, God love is always seeking the highest good of the other person no matter what they do. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love gives freely without asking 
or demanding, and I'll even add another one there, expecting anything in return. See, because a lot of times, you know what, we'll do something because we love somebody, but then we'll sit and stew in our own mind because they didn't reciprocate. I expected them to love me back. That's not true love. That's not the truest, deepest, realest form of love that we're going to see here as we move forward in this sermon series. See, because what a lot of people call love nowadays is actually what I would describe as intense liking. <laughs> and it's, or, or, or impassioned desire. I love the Steelers. Really? You're going to give your life for the Steelers? Well, I got a tattoo. Well, that's extreme, but... My favorite is always the people, I know there were Dallas fans out there that went and got Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl 53 or whatever the Super Bowl is tattoos because they, they thought that something would change in the last 30 years, like the Cowboys would actually do anything at the playoffs. But I digress. <laughs> See, but love, as I said, for the world is often rooted in self-gratification rather than selfless affection. It's about what I get out of the deal. It's about how it makes me feel. And that's why, that's why we can say, I love the Steelers. And that's why when the Steelers don't make you feel good, you, you, you're, you, you call the, the sports line drunk and talk trash on Tomlin. Oh, if they just have Kyre come back. <laughs> Undisciplined locker room. Never, but nevertheless, love is more than about what I get out of it. It's about what I can give from myself to the other person. And if I can just, if I can just help marriages out. Pastor Ben talked to we got the marriage, the XO marriage conference coming up. And just, just so you know, that's $20 per person, $40 for couples. So if your marriage is, that, is there where only one of you is coming, we're, we would love to have you. And the $10 for childcare, it's $10 per family. Just don't bring your neighbor's kids, okay? I'm just, you know, bring, bring your children. Birth certificate, no, we're not going to look at birth Social security numbers and stuff. But one of the things, as I've counseled people in the pre-marriage process, and I've counseled them as they've hit rough spots in their marriage, as every marriage has, almost every problem in marriage is rooted in selfishness. Almost every problem. It's about how the other person is making you not feel good. Or not making you feel good. And when it comes to marriage in real time and, and biblical, biblical marital intimacy, there is no greater form of intimacy that you can have. And I, I, I counsel couples on this to do this. When you make making the other person feel good the highest priority, man, you will never, ever, ever experience goodness like that in your life. When you make it about the other person, how can I make this other person feel good? That's love. That's the kind of love Jesus is calling us to. Um, I have a picture I'd like to show you. Can you throw that picture up there for me? Ah, I knew it. I was literally, I was prepping this week and I was like, there's going to be a loud, audible awe. I knew it. Because you know why? Oh, look, you can't look at that and not say awe. Right? Because everybody loves puppies. 
See, see, here's the problem. I'm going to help you out, parents, if your kids want a, want a puppy. The puppy's easier to love than the dog because if you put a dog picture up there, a lot fewer awes. <laughs> like, see, but that's the thing, right? See, we, we think of puppy love, right? Because it's cute. It's desirable. It's about how the puppy makes me feel. Oh, he's so snuggly. His little bad puppy breath licking my face. But see, this is, and this is what the world equates with love for people or other things. But here's the problem. That puppy is going to tear your stuff up. It's going to poop and pee on your hardwood multiple times, no matter how much you spank it. And no matter how much you love it. See, because in life, love has to transcend how it makes us feel. And it has to go beyond that to how I can make the other person feel. See, because here's the thing. It's easy to love lovable things. It's easy to see a picture of a puppy and say, oh. But what about that family member who's coming into their second decades of addiction and you just keep ripping your heart out, stealing your stuff? What about that coworker that just keeps making your life heck on earth? See, it's easy to love lovable things, but what God is calling us to do is to extend love beyond ourself and beyond how it makes us feel to how can I make the other person better? And see, that's why Jesus gives that charge to his disciples. Because I'm going to make a bold statement here. I don't believe that you can truly love something apart from the love of God in your life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. You might intensely like, and you might even have a sacrificial, deep care for those around you, but I I believe that the only way to truly love is by first receiving the love of Jesus into your heart, and then releasing it and walking in the strength of his Holy Spirit so that you can, in turn, love others. And, And love's just not a big deal about making the world feel better or making the world a better place. But here's another thing that we have to understand, especially as followers of Jesus. Love is the glue that binds us. Love is the cohesive measure that's required for the functionality of God's body, of Jesus' body, the church. Because how many of you know God didn't just call us into his love to just love us and have snuggle time for eternity? While we're here in this earth, we have a calling. We have a purpose. There is power that is available. There is breakthrough. There is healing, not just for us, but for the world around us. But the world can't get it if we don't get it right here first. And so this series, this message today is going to be about what lo- not just what love is, but how do we get it right here? And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's right in front of 2 Corinthians. If you go too far and find 3 Corinthians, you have the wrong Bible. Just let us know. We'll get you a good one. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and before I get into most of you have probably heard this chapter, at least portions of it, because the only time we ever really hear it is at marriage, marriages or weddings. It's the love chapter, 
right? But it never really gets taught on. But see, one of the things that's significant about this passage of Scripture is that chapter 13, surprisingly enough, is right in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Mind-blowing, I know. This is the deep revelation you came here for this morning. 13 is between 12 and 14. But see, when we look at it, chapter 12 and chapter 14 are actually about the supernatural gifts that God gives to his people, those who have made Jesus, who have allowed Jesus to be the forgiver of their past and the leader to the future. They're supernatural gifts and blessing, and God bestows them to us. And not, not all of us have the same gift, and there's not just one. There's multiple gifts and multiple people, because here's the thing. Just like a good dad, God wants his kids to play good together. And so he each gives us pieces of the puzzle because the ultimate reality isn't that about me or about you, it's about him. And we're the pieces of the puzzle that fit together in love so that the world can see the picture of Jesus. And so he gives us these gifts. And so Paul sticks this chapter of love in between these two chapters about how to operate in the supernatural power that the world desperately needs, heck, that we desperately need, in a way that's effective. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, this is the last verse of chapter 12 that sets us up for chapter 13. This is what he says. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Some translations say, and I prefer it this way, allow me to show you the most excellent way. And so Paul is telling us that the most excellent way for the body to be built up, strengthened, and operate in supernatural power so that we can actually make a difference in the world, the most excellent way, the best way of all is love. This selfless, sacrificial, making the other better, thinking of the other more highly. Love, because here's a reality. There is no cohesion without unity, and there's no unity without love. Unity without love is just false agreement. And that's why we see so much fracturedness in the world around us, because you know why? We got fracturedness in the body of Christ. The world, whether it knows it or not, takes its cues from us because we operate in the power of the second Adam as the authority over the earth. And if we can't get it right here, no wonder the world looks the way that it does. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through this chapter and really pull out the truths that we need to help us to process this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He said, if I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, this is a sobering reminder that first and foremost, even if you do all those things, if you do them without love, 
They're meaningless. You give all your money to the poor, but if you don't love, meaningless. You can even sacrifice your life, but if you don't do it out of love, you've gained nothing. You could have all supernatural wisdom. You could be as smart as Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates combined. But if you don't operate in love, it doesn't matter. But there's an even scarier truth that you can do these things without love. That you can show up here, as many people do that are in this room right now, early and stay late to serve so that what God wants to do here on a Sunday morning or when we're doing special services or whatever the case, you can do all of that, but if it's not rooted and grounded in love, it's useless. You can give your life for your kids, but if you don't do it out of love, you have gained nothing. And that should scare us because a lot of times, you know what we do? We're just like the Corinthians. We see people that do those things and we immediately think, wow, what a loving, godly person. Because how could God use them so mightily if they didn't have love? Paul says it's possible to do it without love. And that's why he says the most excellent way is to do it with love. To do it with love. Because here's the thing. If people did these things, you'd think they were excellent people, wouldn't we? Wow, look at how generous they are. Look at how powerful they are. Man, they, they just pray and demons run away and sicknesses get healed and breakthrough happens in bank accounts. Paul says, nah, all that's fine and good, but if there's not love behind it, it's useless. See, true love is the key. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that in the New Testament, which is the last 27 books of the Bible, it's the books written after Jesus came and died and rose again. It's written in a language called Koine Greek. It's not the current Greek that's spoken today. It's a more ancient form of Greek. And in that language, there's not one, but there's actually four prevailing words that are translated in our English language, love. And the first one is this, eros. And you've probably, that, it, that's where we get the word erotic. And this is a word that, that describes a sensual or sexual love. It's a, it's a longing. It's a, it's a craving. It's, it's inexplicable. It's passionate. It's the thing that gets you into baby mama drama, fam. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. One minute we were on the phone miles away, and then we're pregnant right? Because this is the kind of love that overrides reason and logic in our minds and causes us to do things that we don't even know what we're doing. And then we've got to live with those consequences. And not only that, because look, I'm not just a pastor. I've had baby mama drama in my life too. I have an older son. And let me tell you, avoid baby mama drama at all costs. There was a party, I kid you not, I bought myself a cupcake the last day I had to pay my last bit of child support. Not because I didn't want to support my son, but I knew that that money wasn't going to my son. And I knew that my son was denied the best way of growing up by having a mother and a father married together in love under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the optimal way to raise a child, and every study on planet earth proves it. Every study. But see, I got caught up in Eros love. 
But because I never learned the differences between different kinds of love, I thought that that's what love was. And then I said, well, you know what? I come home and I provide for my family. I'm a man. I hold it down. But I'm emotionally and mentally absent with my children and my wife. See, that's storge love. It refers to family love. Then the third one is one that you've probably heard, philea or phileo, meaning brotherly love. This is where we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. Shout out to my friends across the state in the Super Bowl. Hey, hey. Some of you are like, he really likes football, doesn't he? I do. It's an intense desire. I philea it. Actually, it's probably Eros because it transcends reason and logic in my mind, but nevertheless. But then we get to another one, agape. And this word is special. This word is important because this is a word that specifically within the context of the New Testament describes God-type, godly, God-love. And there's a fascinating reality about agape. Actually, a couple. The first one, it looks a lot similar to the way we described love for the terms of the series, doesn't it? Very similar, isn't it? That's because that's where we got the definition from. Because that's what Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, and then the other authors of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are communicating how we should live and act as believers. And there's another fascinating truth about this word agape, and I love it so much. Because agape is the noun form of it. Agapeo is the verb form. Right? The action of love and then the entity, the thing that love is. You know that in all of ancient Greek literature that we have found to date, this word agape only appears one time outside of the whole Bible. You'll see agapeo and eros and storge and phileo all over ancient Greek writings. It's, it, and they're used interchangeably. But agape, that's a Bible word. And so I'm going to make another bold statement and say this. The reason for that is because agape describes God and how then we should live and understand love as followers of God. And I'm going to take the next step and say agape's sole purpose, as we see here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the sole purpose for love isn't to make us feel better, but it is to build up the body of Christ, the church. And this is how the world will know that we are Christians by our love. Because we are the only ones who possess it. Well, you... Other people can agapeo. You said that in Greek, other people. Yes, but only the Christian has agape because God is agape. And we've got to be careful in this day and age, Christians, followers of Jesus, not to throw out what I like to call sloppy agape. Greasy grace. We have to get what love truly is. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the Word of God instructs us and says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice 
to take away our sins. And then you go down to verse 19 and look at what it says. We love each other because he first loved us. That's how I can make the bold statement that only Christians have agape because only Christians have God living in their heart. And so if you're a Christian here today not walking in the prerequisite level of love that you need to, it's, it's a good time to repent. Or if you're a non-Christian, you're wondering why the church doesn't look like it, it's because we haven't done a good job of understanding what love is. So what does love look like? What does it look like? We've done our best to define it, and you can take that definition how you want. What does love look like? Well, love looks like family. Because remember, love is the entity that bonds us to one another in the body of Christ. See, and here's, here's the thing. The way we do family isn't what we're doing right now. How many of you in your life, when, when you gathered in home as family, you had one member of the family stand up and talk and everyone else listened to them? That's not community. Community is engagement and interaction. Community is seeing each other face to face. Community, as we see it here, as we like to bring it out here at Bridge City Church, community provides four things. That, and this is what I believe love gives us. This is the way we can, first and foremost, it gives us perspective. One of my, one of my most enjoyable things to do with people is not to tell them what they should do or to tell them that they're wrong or even to tell them that they're right. It's just to provide perspective. Another way of seeing things because here's a reality. A lot of us can get locked in our little world so much that we think we know what we're seeing. And that's why we need other people in our lives to provide perspective. Eh, maybe don't do that. Or maybe you should do this instead of that. See, that's perspective. And then you let that person do with that as they please. Another way that we can practically show love is to challenge them. You say, well, wait a second. See, this is where the world's missing it. As we go on in this series and you see what love is, especially next week, don't miss next week. Love challenges. Because if you really want the best from someone, you will help them acknowledge the same way they should be helping you acknowledge that they're not perfect, they haven't arrived, they still got some ways to go, and you challenge them to be the best them. That's why I love my wife. She challenges me to be the best me. Because if I'm honest, I'm prideful enough and stupid enough to think I've already made it. Because I've already exceeded my father's abilities as a dad. I've already exceeded the majority of my family's financial earnings, and we don't got that much. But see, it's real easy to get stuck in our minds in the Facebook page of our own design, thinking that we got it all together. And that's why we need people to come in and provide perspective, challenge us, and then encourage us. Because here's the thing. Perspective and challenge without encouragement is truth without grace. See, encouragement comes... and encourages. It puts courage in that person to take the fourth thing, their next steps in growth, to be the best them. That's what love does. That's how love operates. That's how it should operate. 
See, and maybe you're here today and you've been in relationships, you've been in church families, you've been in regular families, you've had friends at work, you've been in uh, loving, amorous relationships with another person or whatever the case may be, but, but you wondered what was missing. And it might have been one or all of those four ingredients because what you had was intense liking, but not true love. But I'm a big believer that everyone's looking for true love. And it's first found in Jesus Christ. But then because we receive his love now, it is impossible for us. Listen to me. It should be, if we've received Jesus' love truly in our lives, it should be impossible to not love other people. Doesn't mean that it won't be a struggle or a challenge, but you know what? He gives us the perspective. It is he who made us and not we ourselves, Psalm 100. He gives us challenge. Look, you're better than that. That's how I challenge my kids. I don't, I don't tell them, what are you doing? You're so dumb. You're so stupid. Stop doing that. I say, that's below your station. You're better than that. Then he gives us encouragement. You can do this. You got this. Actually, here's my Holy Spirit to help you do it. And then lastly, he says, because look, it's hard to shoot a gun when you don't have a target. Here's your next steps. Here's the target. Here's some things to do. Now, if that sounds good to you and you're like, how do I get that kind of love? How do I find myself in an environment? Because like you said, it's not happening right here, right now on Sunday morning. You know how, how and where you find it? It's in what we're doing today. Our connection group kickoff. Wait a second. That's just another, that's just another attempt to get churches. No, 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 no. This is the way we find love because you know what? When you sign, not if, when you sign up for a group, and there's tons of them. There's groups for men. Tuesday night, Phil Leone. Wednesday night, Pastor Tom Rachel. Thursday night, Tyler Lachlan, one of our church's elders. There's groups for ladies. Tyler's wife, Avery. Cheryl Romanic. Kristen Taylor. That's where my wife goes, and it's amazing. I I love that group. We have groups that are co-eds, not just for couples, but there will be men and there will be ladies there. Now, I want to caution you, the tricky thing with co-ed groups, it's really hard for men to get into men issues and ladies to get into ladies issues, but it's still good. And some of the amazing co-ed groups that we have is Pete and Royanne Gerbach. They're going to be leading a group on the Holy Spirit. Pastor Ben and Melanie Kendrew, they're going to be leading a group in their house going through an amazing book. We have Linda Larson who leads a group specifically for seniors and that actually happens in Wilmerding because it goes beyond our campus and guess what? It goes beyond our church. This is a great place to invite your friends to say, hey, do you want to come to my group? Because they may never come to your church, but they might come to your group and they might find love because in your group they found Jesus and now their life is radically changed. We have an amazing group led by Carl Steinmetz, Chad Hawkins, and Jeff Taylor called Financial Peace University. This will help you get your finances in order. Why? Why is finances important? Because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, and it's hard to give cheerfully or at all if you feel like you don't have enough to give. And so if you need financial, godly financial help that is proven that it works if you work it, then you want to get signed up for Financial Peace University. We have another great group that works if you work it called Celebrate Recovery meets here on Monday nights at 6.30. 
It's not just for people that have addictions or used to have addictions. It's for anybody that has a hurt, habit, or hang-up to come and find hope in Jesus Christ. So you can get signed up for that. And you're probably sitting there right now like, well, who do I see? Who are these people? How do I get signed up? I'm glad you asked because right now I'm going to ask every one of our connection group leaders and their apprentices, the people that they're training to become connection group leaders as well. Because here's what we do at Bridge City Church. We believe in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where it says to take the things that you have heard and then entrust them to faithful men and women who will in turn be able to trust them to others. So we believe in building the kingdom of God by loving people in groups. And so come on up front. If you're a connection group leader, and if I forgot to mention you, I apologize. You can slap me later. I love you. We're going to ask you to just line up front here, you and your apprentices. And I'm going to have uh, Pastor Ben come and join me up on the stage. Because here's what we're going to do. First and foremost, you're going to look at them and they're going to look at you. And you're going to know who our connection group leaders, who you're going to be signing up to meet with every week. Our connection groups run for about 14 weeks. They can go longer than that that if the group so desires. But they run at least 14 weeks starting this week moving forward. They meet on a specific time at a specific place. So sign up for one that works for you. And we, I told you, we got them all across the board, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, some most in the evening, some during the day. It's great. And so we want you to be able to see them. We want them to be able to see you because I believe right now God is speaking to their hearts as they're looking out and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to go invite that person to my group. Because it's not just about you coming and signing up. That's a consumer culture. This is a family. And God has put it in our hearts to come and say, you know what, I'd love for you. You would be awesome in my group. And so when we wrap this whole deal up, I will release you to go and sign up for your group. But the other reason we got him up here is so that we can pray. So Pastor Ben, Pastor Ben is the executive pastor of our church. He is also the connection group coach here at Bridge City Church, North Braddock. All, of, all four of our campuses have connection group coaches. He's the men's coach. Leslie Harris is the ladies coach. Is Leslie here? She's she, right. she's there. Come on up Come here, on up, Leslie. Leslie. On we up. need yeah. you up here. Come on up. She's done such a great job. But he's also the connection group director for our whole church. So I'm going to ask him to pray for all of our leaders, and then I'm going to pray for him because he's also leading the group. And I'm going to invite you to pray along with us. And while you're praying for them, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say which group you're going to be in because we're going to let them go. And there's posters on the wall all out in the hallway down to the left here. They're going to be standing in front of their poster. The poster says, place, time, what the study is. And you're just going to sign up. Someone might pull you aside and say, hey, we'd love to have you sign up. And you'll be like, oh, I already signed up for one. And that'll be, that's awesome. But not if you're going to be in a group. Which group are you going to be in? So Pastor Ben, would you pray for our leaders and then I'll pray for you. Absolutely. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for each of these leaders and apprentices here right now that have uh, stepped up and stepped into this calling to serve you, to serve Bridge City Church and its people. Lord, we just pray a blessing upon each leader and their family, Lord. I pray that they would be able to grow daily as they can. We know, we recognize we can't give what we don't have. So I pray a blessing upon them. 
they would continue to hunger and thirst for you, that you'd draw near to them as they draw near to you. Father, I pray for each group, Lord. I pray that um, as, as people sign up, that people will grow closer to you, Lord. I pray that they would understand what it means that they'd be challenged in their faith, that there'd be accountability as iron sharpens iron, as the scripture says. And so, Father, for each of these leaders, Lord, would you bless them? Would you pour out your power? Would your Holy Spirit fall fresh upon each of the leaders and the apprentices and Miss Leslie and I as we as we coach and as we lead? Father, we need you. We recognize that. And so, Father, we pray for big things to happen, for big things for people to be different from today as they, at the end, near Mother's Day week, weekend, Lord, that we would be different, drastically different, that we would look more like your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we need you today. Would you fall fresh upon us? Bless each of these leaders, these apprentices and the coaches. And so, Father, help us to learn. Help us to renew our minds and hearts. Would you strengthen us today? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Ben and for his willingness and the willingness of all of these men and women who are here to not just lead a group, but to provide a space where they can provide the love that you so graciously gave them to provide opportunities for people to connect with your love, maybe for the first time, where people can find perspective and challenge and encouragement and the next steps in their growth with you. God, I thank you for this man as he steps into the role of connection group coach here and connection group director at our church, God, that you would bless him and give him the strength to carry and bear the standard not of groups, but of love. Your word tells us that your banner over us is love. We receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen.